Hello and welcome to Rocket, Accelerated Geek Conversation. I am Simone de Rochefort. Joining me tonight from San Francisco, Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. And from the other side of the country, uh, in this weird state called, is it New, New, New York? Is that how you pronounce it? That is New York. Yeah. Wonderful. Christina I- Warren, Senior <laughs> Tech Correspondent at Mashable. Please don't send me hate tweets for that horrible joke. No, it's okay. It's I feel okay. like this is the way it should be. I get one half of the country, Christina, you get the other. This is, I can I can live with this. Finally, you are warring queens in two war- towers. <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly what it is. And, and Simone, I know yeah. you're technically still on the West Coast, but we would like to, what might happen, like, we can give you Chicago. Are you, okay, you're extending me. <laughs> oh, I'll be it. I'll, again, you know, be the diplomat, like, in the middle of the country, between you two. That'd be wonderful. I like that. Okay, good plan. Thank you for being so generous in your offer of Chicago as my my new castle. (laughs) Well, I mean, Chicago's a pretty great castle. Come on. I've never been to Chicago. I so want to go, though. What? Chicago's the best. Yeah. Courtney went last year to visit a friend of hers, and she was just like, it's wonderful here. Everything's really clean and nice, and the food is delicious and cheap. And I was like, okay. You've got me. It's even got like a, a fake ocean in terms of that, that lake thing that's there. <laughs> that lake thing. You know, <laughs> I'm down. So today I'd like to start off this podcast by talking about something really important, which is um, oppression, specifically a book called Oppressed in the Butt by my inclusive holiday coffee cups by not, not our usual romance author, but another romance author called Chuck Tingle. Um, and he has written... A book that really touches on contemporary events in a way that that I haven't seen such such fast, quick response to something that was in the, the news this week. And it's about a man who who falls in love with a bunch of Starbucks, red gay Starbucks coffee cups. Um, and uh, they do it in the butt, which is um, the, the major theme of the story is doing it in the butt. Is, OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, what have do you, guys you read think about this that? book, Simone? You know, I have not, but it is two ninety nine. Yeah. That's the Kindle price right there from Amazon.com. I think, I think you've got to pay for quality writing, and I, I, I think it's only do. a matter of time. I have always been a proponent of paying for the things that we consume, um, and I hope that the main character of this novel paid for the <laughs> Starbucks red coffee cups that he consumes in the butt. <laughs> oh, so Merry, oh, Merry, 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 oh, Merry oh, Christmas. So Merry Christmas, indeed. Uh, this this book does promise sizzling human on gay holiday cup action. So that's that's I, fantastic. Nothing more describes something that I would be interested in. You know, Simone. A while back, I had someone write me. They were like, "You know, I wanted my daughter to hear about women and tech issues so she could grow up to be an engineer." <laughs> and then I listened to one of your openings, and I'm like, "I can't let her listen to this. I can't let her listen." To no, this. we've only done but like five so times. Uh, yeah, only on five. This will make seven. three. This is only yeah. the third time. I was counting some of our other antics, Simone. Oh, it's only oh, it's right, only three times right, we've done those yeah. things. But no, I mean, in general, right, we're trying to yeah. be, you know. Role models, of course. Yes, we are role models. And frankly, look, I get it. Like, depending on how old your daughter is, I can understand that our uh, collegiate frat boy, uh, uh, excuse me, sorority girl sense of humor, <laughs> would, would, would possibly, possibly be something you might not want them to hear. I'm going to tell you this, though. If they're over 13, they've already heard so much worse. They're on, yep. I almost said fanfiction.net. That would have dated me. 
No, oh they're on God. Wattpad. Sorry. AO3. They're on Wattpad. Oh, God. Hey, well, they're on AO3, obviously, but they're on Wattpad, and they're reading really terrible Harry Styles fan fiction that's going to get a movie deal, even though it's the worst thing oh. in the entire history of the world. I'm still not over that. <laughs> because it's so bad. Is, it, is there legitimately a One Direction fanfic that's getting a movie deal? Yes. Yes. Um, what? Yeah. There, there's, yeah. How did I yeah, miss yeah. this? No, it's like a huge deal. Uh, like she's had like a, a bajillion yeah. reads. Um, this is so important. This is like the news of the century. How could you keep this from me? How could I keep this from me? Was it to protect myself? I don't know. Yeah, Guys, no, I'm quitting this called... podcast to write fan fiction. <laughs> As you should. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's called um, After. And I mean, it's really not good. Um, it, it's by this 25-year-old One Direction fan named Anna Todd. And she got a three-book deal with Simon & Schuster and a first-look movie deal. Holy Love crap. Her. And the thing is, is that After has been read 354 million times. Oh, my God. And let me read you the description because this is this will make you hear like it'll make you want to hurt yourself. Tessa Young is an 18 year old college student with a simple life, excellent grades and a sweet boyfriend. She always has things planned out ahead of time until she meets a rude boy named Harry with too many tattoos and piercings <laughs> who shatters her plans. That is the description. It makes, honestly, the writing almost makes Fifty Shades seem good. I mean, it's still bad, but it's so much better than the quality of writing of this stuff. It's just, it's, uh, it's really terrible. I'm pretty um, freaking pro teenage girls getting movie deals uh, off of their She's 25. Fan- uh, she's 25. So well, no. I, I'm pretty, now I'm, I'm just pretty, jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty pro people who are good at writing getting movie deals. I'm pretty anti- people who literally write Mary Sue fan fiction turning the funny thing that, is that into so much a book good deal. fan fiction out there um but which I won't talk about cuz I yes there's I feel so bad much good fan fiction I was going to say there, there there's it, so but. much good fan fiction out there that it's it's disturbing to me when you're like really okay. well you can't trust i guess producers is the uh the moral well, of this story well no because what, what it is good. they well they see 354 million reads yeah, and they like, don't well. realize that little girls don't understand um that there's good fic and bad fic and you usually start reading really bad fic and you don't know any better until you get like more into it and you're like, Oh, oh so this is good stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, they just think, Oh, you know, Harry Styles. Great. But yeah. Anyway. Well, um, this is a tech podcast. It sure is. <laughs> Shall we swoop down on the iPad pro? iPad pro. iPad pro. So iPad pro reviews are out. And the I guess the the results are kind of mixed in that it is the most gorgeous and beautiful and useful tablet ever, but people are saying that it is not, in fact, going to be the thing that replaces your MacBook, um, which I think is fair. Uh, I think mo- it's fair. I mean, unless you're unless you're Federico, who has already replaced but- his MacBook. Fair enough. But he is. He is the One Direction fanfic writer of he iPad is. Pro. Can yeah. I say how how proud I am that how he long? got the early review? I cycle? know. Hell yeah. I'm so I know. excited for that. Like, it honestly, was such like, a gap for him. It's such a huge gift for him. And he's such a great guy. And he's obviously, he, he hosts a number of shows here on our, our network, Relay. He, and he's fantastic. And Max Stories is a great site. But, like, genuinely, like, that's the sort of stuff that, like, makes my heart warm over yeah. when, like, the indie publishers and, and, and not to take anything away from John Gruber, who's worked his ass off and and is certainly as indie as they come but you know he's built a really big following like federico like i don't know like even people that i work with know john gruber right 
most of them don't know Mac stories unless they're like actively covering Apple stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but like my, my, my social media producers don't really, aren't really that familiar. And, and, and so when you're talking like indie niche, like well done media, when like he's in the review system for the, the embargoed reviews, like, right. Like, mm-hmm. cause they had different tiers of review things. Like that made me so happy. Yeah. It, it's great for him. And it also shows that they're aware of, the mac audience and who they're reading and who they're interested in like who has their finger on the pulse of that that culture right totally well and also i mean talk about a guy who literally does all of his publishing on an ipad you know what i mean like Heck he's yeah. the perfect guy to give one of those early access things to he's your core demo- like he is somebody who's already been walking the walk so he's a perfect guy to give it to but i i wonder if like a, if, if apple a year ago would have done that you know mm-hmm. and i don't yeah. know that's I, a really interesting thought christina i don't think they would have either. i don't either but, i think I it's mean, been the regime change in in pr i think yeah. has really changed things and so i'm really glad because i think it's good because fed would have written a fantastic review regardless like he would have bought one himself and, and had a great review but it's so much better that he can come out the same day as the wall street journal and mashable and the verge and um you know the other places that uh got you know early units like i love that because i i like being able to put a spotlight on people who people like him who are mm-hmm. doing tremendous work and work their butts off um and uh yeah anyway yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. So let's talk about the review itself. I mean, um, I, I don't know. I thought Gruber's was really, really good. Um, can we kind of start with that one? Talk sure, about yeah. it where, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, pretty much all of these, except for Frederico's, I think kind of <laughs> agreed that, uh, you know, this is not a uh, MacBook replacement yet. And, you know, Gruber's I thought was really interesting. Uh, it seemed like most of his complaints were about the the keyboard shortcuts not really being ready for prime time and like the the gorilla arm you get if you reach out and have to like interact or launch apps or things like that. But I also think that his um you know, his comments about x eighty six uh and the days being numbered for that I definitely want to get into that. But I mean, you know, Christina, you've played with this and I haven't. I mean, did you did you kind of agree with this review? How did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I agreed with his review. I thought that Lance, I uh, you know, I thought Gruber's review was really good by somebody who doesn't use one of these kind of hybrid devices day in and day out. Um, Lance, mm-hmm. who did the review for Mashable, his daily driver is a, a, a Surface Book Pro, um, a Surface oh. Pro 3, rather. So, like, that's what Lance uses. And Lance, I have to give him kudos for this because this is amazing, will take, you know, at Apple events, will be, like, the one media person there who has <laughs> not just a Windows machine but a Surface, Right. Like Lance yeah. don't care. Like Lance, Lance will go into oh. meetings with Apple executives with his. He's surface. a renegade, right? I mean, but I love that about him. And so he's and he's also an artist, and and he drew actually a really amazing drawing of Tim Cook that's in the review. You can see like the the, the time lapse that he did with the Apple pencil, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he's somebody who has already been embracing the touch stuff on the uh, Windows side for a long time, and has actually really wanted Apple to add a touch screen to the MacBooks. Um, but like Gruber, you know, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, it's like, yeah, this isn't, unless you're in a certain situation, if you're a professional who uses a computer as a professional, this is probably not going to be able to replace your laptop yet. But that doesn't mean that for a lot of people, um, it can't, you know, like my mom, I think would be way better off with an iPad pro than probably the new MacBook. And so I think that she was going to get the new MacBook as her computer, but I honestly think that she probably would be happier with the iPad. Um, so 
I mean, it's interesting. I, I thought that his comments on the X86 stuff, I don't know how I, I don't know if I completely agree with that, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Intel still has a lot of life left. And I feel like there's a lot of things that obviously arm, especially on the GPU side, on the integrated side, like they can get way better performance. And, and that's absolutely true. I feel like on the yep. CPU side, I don't think that they're there and I don't know if they'll be there. I also wouldn't, I fully expect at some point Intel to just become an arm licensee. And, um, huh. yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the direction they're going to go in and Intel will become an arm licensee. And, and frankly, they could probably really threaten Qualcomm and, and, um, and Samsung, um, Apple, you know, does their own designs, but, um, Samsung and, and some of the other people make the chips themselves. So I think that like Intel eventually, if that is how, what's going to happen, Intel's certainly not going to go away. They'll just become a fab themselves. But I feel like on the GPU stuff, the integration is obviously really good, but I also wonder, it's like a catch-22. On the one hand, yes, it's super powerful. On the other hand, we don't have any apps that really take advantage of it, mm. partially because of the way developers have to build stuff. And I know you've talked a lot about this, Brie, but like, you know, you've got to yep. target so many different things. I can see, I wish that they would maybe have a way where you could just build for the iPad Pro and just make it visible to the iPad Pro. Uh, without trying to kind of encourage backward compatibility with the other iPads. Because to me, you kind of lose the benefit of having this great GPU um, if the developers are still going to be thinking about living in an ecosystem where A, their price of software is going to be way too low for them to make it worth their while. Mm -hmm. And B, you know, um, they're going to get lots of complaints if they, you know, if it doesn't work well on an iPad Air 2. That was one of the things that Mossberg mentioned in his review is that a lot of the apps, while wonderful, don't take advantage of all that screen space. And like, I've been working a lot in Google Docs recently on my iPad 2, and the fact that you can't see comments is annoying on that. But on an even bigger screen, I feel like, of course, you should be able to see comments that are in the margin on your your iPad Pro, but it's not, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Can, no, can I, mean, I say a word or two about that? Oops. I think one of the big blindness of the press on on these issues is you consistently have these devices reviewed by people whose job it is to write things all day long, which comes in with a very base, um, kind of a basic use case, right? Yeah. And you can do games and things like that on it. But like, you know, for the iPad Pro, the thing that's going to limit like super graphically intense apps coming out is even to this day, Apple does not really have a way to target your your games or things and say, okay, for this device, I want to use, um, you know, these particular graphics. Like you're very locked in to supporting the lowest device in the ecosystem. And I know I've talked a lot about the iPad 3 and how much hell that brought my company through. So, <laughs> you know, and it's like, Christina, like, you know, yes, okay, fine. This thing is a Porsche. It goes super quickly. But that I think that it's... I think the problem with Gruber's way of thinking is he's coming at it as a writer and also right. someone that doesn't really game a lot. And I think if like, you know, I've been shopping Mac pros like for the last mm-hmm. month trying to figure out what I'm going to get. And there are certain things that that line of computers does that just is not suited for the arm in fundamental ways. Exactly. And that's even before we get into like distributed cloud builds for light mm-hmm. mass calculations or any of these really advanced things. And I just, I, I, I just have to say it. I can see like OS 10 eventually going like hybrid 
Yes. You know, x86 and ARM, I can kind of imagine that happening, but like ARM only, you're going to lose the high end there. You know, for reasons John Syracuse has covered. So, uh, no, I, I totally agree. And I also feel like one of the things that some of the people who tr- primarily treat these things as writers miss, and, and look, make no mistake, I, I make most of, you know, I, I, I'm in TextMate most of the day, right? Like, I, I'm not doing a lot of heavy lifting, but at the same time, even though Federico can replicate and, and do a very advanced publishing workflow on his iPad, I can't really replicate my workflow. I have a lot of custom scripts that will insert things and will, you know, build things in different ways. And even if I'm not gaming a ton, you know, I'm accessing lots of virtual machines and I'm, I'm testing different app builds and I'm, I'm, I'm going through, you know, different, you know, scenarios. I've got lots of different things running. And so even for my job, I don't think I would be able to use an iPad Pro. What's interesting to me, though, is that there are certain people assuming that we could get buy-in from them on the app side, where I do think that the GPU and some of the other prowesses, if you built like truly professional-grade apps, could be better on the iPad than they are on the Mac simply because of that better GPU ratio. So, you know, some of the things at the iPad um, launch event, they were showing off, you know, some of these medical apps, um, like the one that... that uh, kind of lets you go through each layer of skin down to the bone mm. and see individual parts of the muscles. And it's like this great anatomy app and it's really good and it's really fast. And frankly, A, you really do want touch for that sort of thing. And B, it's so fast and so responsive that it probably does work better on the iPad Pro than it would on a, a laptop. Obviously, if you have a Mac Pro, if you're doing like real professional grading work, that wouldn't be the case. It's interesting too, though, when I think about some of the art apps, because we gave some of our illustrators uh, the iPad Pro, and we're going to give them. We're going to let them use it more as well. Like most of them work on on Wacom Cintiqs in Photoshop or an Illustrator all day, and like that's what they do. And it'll be interesting to see if you know they can get better results or as good of results on an iPad Pro as they can on a Cintiq, or if they need that power of having the full Illustrator, you know, behind them. Um, and that's going to be an yeah. interesting thing. Because and, and that's the pen really is definitely the good thing, enough. Because it's not just about it's not just about like the the like the technology of Apple Pencil. Like the refresh rate weighs at one twenty, uh, you know, frames per second of upright, uh, you know, like upresing everything that you're sending yeah. to it. That is awesome. But you're also coming against my God. I've been working with Adobe Illustrator since what nineteen ninety seven. I mean, that's not a, a program. You just like you know, snap your fingers and it goes over an iPad. That is a ton of functionality. And, exactly. you know, you we all have, those of us that have done that work professionally, we have workflows, we have keyboard yep. shortcuts, we have, yeah. you know, Dropbox, we have external drives. <laughs> like we have, there there is a certain amount of power and versatility over there that, you know, it's just really, really hard to, replicate that i mean that's asking like okay fine you can control you know final cut is it final cut 10 final yes, cut x i believe you, so you yeah. Can get, 10, yeah you can get final cut 10 over there because apple controls that but like to really get adobe to translate right. all of their creative cloud apps over there to really get avid on board with that to like really get Mathematica, if you're like a, you know, a, a, a math professor, I mean, to really get this stuff, how about, um, you know, like Autodesk? Yes. I, I'm mm. sorry, there's stuff on iOS are toys. And, yeah. you know, it's really cute. <laughs> no, they are. The they are. But it is. It is nothing. And right, you which can't should make them do that. Yeah. No, you can't unless you change kind of the price paradigm. I mean, I feel like you could make the argument where if you're getting an iPad Pro, 
the version of Autodesk you get for the iPad Pro costs a certain amount of money. Or if you're part of a subscription service like you know Creative uh, Cloud or something else, maybe they only make that available to those users. And then it is like a full-born like you know, like, like, like full version. But in the, the, the race to the bottom ecosystem of iOS, unfortunately, has meant that developing these fully professional tools, which you cr- certainly can do, hasn't been economically viable for companies to do that. Um, and, and also, to your point, it does take a whole lot to translate these things to touch. I mean, how many years, you know, the service has been around for a long time. It runs full Windows. And only this year did Adobe start to even do some of the stylus support in a decent way for Windows 10 on, on like the Surface Pro 4, where you can get, you know, some of that pen input the way that, that you would want it to be. And it's still kind of janky, you know. So weirdly enough, you know, so you either have a, a solution like the Cintiq, which has its own problems, but certainly is kind of a viable thing, you know, where you're tethered to your machine and you're using that kind of as your monitor. Or you have this kind of, this app that has a lot of power but isn't, everything that Illustrator or Photoshop is that actually has great pen support on the iPad Pro, or you've got this hybrid device that doesn't quite have the pen support the way that you would want it on the Surface Pro 4. So it's, I mean, I feel like we're all moving to the same future. I just don't know who's going to get there first, who's going to do it better, but I don't feel like we're at that place yet, especially for Do you think now that Apple is also making a stylus, do you think that'll encourage companies like Adobe to take another look at touch and improve it? Oh, definitely. Ways? Well, look, yes. And and let's also be very clear. I talked to Adobe a couple of years ago when they released like, they released um, a, a special pen that they created, like a pen and slide thing where they created like a stylus and then also like this ruler thing that would go on an iPad. And they basically built these things in-house. Um, they ended up, I think, licensed or co- contracting with, uh, I can't remember the, the, the stylus uh, maker's name, but they showed me demos while they were trying to work on their stylus and they were desperately wanting to make the best stylus they could for Mm -hmm. the iPad. And they have apps that will actually kind of let you remotely control like your Photoshop experience or other stuff from your iPad. And that works pretty well. And I remember talking to them. This was people from the uh, Adobe X Labs team. And, you know, they didn't have access to um, the sorts of APIs and the sorts of things they could do, you know, when they're trying to develop a stylus to, you know, keep, you know, for for things like, you know, wrist, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like detection and, yeah. detection exactly for, for rejection and, and for palm rejection thank you for, for, for palm rejection and for some of the other features and for pressure sensitivity and for latency and for some of the other things you know they didn't have access to that stuff but they mm-hmm. desperately wanted to but now the ipad pro does allow that now now it does and so that's i think i've talked to them again they've been very excited by that yeah. it's just it takes a lot of work but i mean this is stuff that frankly three years ago two and a half years ago adobe desperately wanted mm-hmm. right they just didn't have the ability to really you know, influence the cycle. Dreams really do come true. Right. But, 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 but to that same point, it's like, okay, you know, they've got this tool, but how long is it going to take for them to refactor code and to get things worked over and, and how do they choose, pick and choose what features work over. But beyond that, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest problems. I think this is why if you have certain applications in certain scenarios that are really built first and foremost with the iPad pro involved, like I think it'll work. But if you're somebody who's coming from an existing workflow, no matter how good mm-hmm. it is on any of these things, whether it's a Surface or, or, or an iPad, you know, like you were saying, Brie, we get used to how we do things and it's really yeah. hard to give up that muscle memory. You know yeah, what I mean? especially thinking of my workflow, like I have at all times, I have After Effects and Premiere and Audition open all the time. It's a lot of horsepower and I don't want to divorce that from my desktop computer. However, I only do that really when I'm in the office where I use my work computer. At home, 
you know, I a, a while ago, I would have said that a, an iPad could never replace my laptop at home. But since my laptop has been increasingly a piece of crap, I've been I've been relying on my iPad to do a lot of things that I was not forced to do before. And I've been finding it really, really good for, like we've been saying, writing. I've been writing just a lot without even an external keyboard, just on the iPad itself. Yeah. And I think with a bigger screen, I think it would be more comfortable. Lance said that if you're not buying the keyboard and the pencil, you're not getting the most out of the iPad Pro. I yes. I think that's probably true of the pencil. I would have to see about the keyboard though, just because my own personal experience with typing on the iPad screen is that it works really well for me. Um, I can't imagine that it would be different or more difficult on a bigger screen. I think it'd be kind of awesome. Yeah. So I, I, I could see myself possibly when I am done w- when my laptop finally dies, maybe not replacing it with an iPad Pro because that's a big investment, but maybe replacing it with another iPad rather than getting another cheap Windows laptop. Yeah. And I think that, that that's, I think that's a great point. And I think that that's really the market this is going after, right? Like this isn't even, even though price-wise it is comparatively priced and there is going to be some, you know, people who don't know whether they should get the 12-inch MacBook or the iPad Pro um, because that they're priced about the same. And once you get all the accessories and everything in and, and they are similar size and form factors and they can do similar things. But I really don't think that those two things, even though some people will have to choose between them, I really don't think Apple is is pitting those against one another. I feel like what they're really doing is taking the iPad Pro, which granted is still going to be t- even before any accessories are added onto it, twice the price uh, of a low-end Windows machine, and that's what they're kind of going against. Um, and I think that that, you know, it's it's an interesting price um, uh, thing that they're doing there. Um, weirdly, I think some I think that it'll be successful to them. I don't think people will think about the fact that they're paying twice as much to get, you know, something that's, um, you know, better, but but not like as good as a MacBook. Um, but I feel like there were plenty of people who don't want a Chromebook. They need something more powerful than a Chromebook. They don't want a crappy Windows machine. And frankly, they don't use, you know, the keyboard or the other stuff enough to really kind of warrant spending twelve dollars or $1,300 on a MacBook. So an iPad Pro might be perfect because, A, it has all of the apps they've come to become used to on iOS, right? Mm-hmm. And And that is one thing that's kind of changing, whereas... On the high end, you know, we we're talking about, you know, Autodesk and Adobe and some of those things. The apps don't really have parity. But on the lower end and on the consumer side, frankly, a lot of the apps on iOS are better than the apps on Mac. And certainly they're, and they're yeah. certainly better than the apps on Windows. It's not even a question. They're better than the apps on Windows. So it's sort of an interesting thing where you can say, okay, I can get this experience, have this multitasking, have these two screens side by side, also have my Netflix, also have my Hulu, also play my games. And if I did want to have a keyboard, you know, I've got the Apple keyboard option. I'm sure there'll be other third party ones. And then I can get this great stylus if I wanted to do that. And it'll have, and it's a really good stylus. I mean, that's the impressive thing to me is that um, it's it's a really good stylus. Um, Lance did a thing where he tested basically the velocity uh, he recorded in slow motion using his iPhone 6S um, Plus of um, oh, that's drawing. Smart. Yeah, wow. he recorded and he he did basically um both him him like drawing in a circle going as fast as he could on both the Surface Pro 4 and on the iPad Pro. And to his eye when he was doing it, it it he felt like both of them kept up with as fast as he was going, but then when he looked back and watched it, he realized that both of them lost a, t- a tiny bit except the iPad did a little bit better job with keeping the momentum and keeping kind of the the curve of where his 
drawing was. The videos in Mashable's post. It's really interesting to kind that of see. That is so cool. That's going to be in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he did. I mean, I guess I yeah. would say this. You know, so I bought the 12 inch MacBook last week. How do you um, like it? I did. Um, I really, really like it. Um, yeah. You know, because I fly all the freaking time these days, you guys. And, you know, I go to a lot of meetings. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I just don't want to freaking drag around like my big 15 inch MacBook. And, like, having a small, light, fun notebook is something I'm in a position to buy. And I have really, really, really been torn up about, you know, which of these I buy. Do I get a 12 inch MacBook or do I get an iPad Pro? And, you know, you look at this, you look at these reviews, I feel very, very confident that I made the, the right decision here for like three main reasons. The first one is, you know, Gruber talks a lot about keyboard shortcuts and, and great. You can get used to that and doing that on the keyboard. But think about like when you're, you're lying back on the couch and you are just really chilling, right? Like how often do you want to get gorilla arm and just like, like swiping up and down, like think about just screwing around online, you know, laying on the couch and doing that. Like, I think that gorilla arm problem is really going to be a problem eventually. Like think about just how naturally yeah. your, your hand just is laying there near the keyboard and you're just swiping up and down. And, you know, there's a reason that like the iPad, uh, like that touch interface is better for that than a keyboard. So I think that's going to be a huge loss. I think, um, yeah, I haven't tried the keyboard yet, but the 12-inch the MacBook keyboard, I am getting used to. I hated it, hated it, yes. hated it, hated it for the first three <laughs> and days, then, and, then, and then, then you get used to it. And I have to be honest, when I've gone back and used my other laptop, it feels weird and like I'm having to push the keys eight miles, you know? Um, <laughs> um, so I, I'm fine with that, but I think that you know, you can't tilt the iPad at a bunch of different angles. Like it's in inevitably going to be less mm -hmm. stable in your lap. So I don't know. I think there are just all these compromises with it. And, you know, I think the other thing I would say is, you know, Gruber's review and The Verge picked up on this too, is how fast it felt. And the 12-inch the, the MacBook mm -hmm. feels slow as frack. It is a really slow yeah. machine. Mm -hmm. It has that Intel M processor in it. And I didn't appreciate just how much slower it would feel in just this very subtle lag than you know, my MacBook Pro from you know, 2013. So I don't know. I just think that I, I think if like you're typing a lot and that's what your job involves is writing and that's you know what running a company is. I just think like this is the Rolls Royce of doing that. Like the keyboard is all that matters. And, you know, all this other okay. stuff like pencils or refresh rates or, you know, better graphics, that doesn't matter. What matters is like the ease of typing and, you know, frankly, interactive mm -hmm. professional apps like Dropbox. So I feel very, very confident that, you know, I, I'm not going with the iPad Pro. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Casper, the mm -hmm. online retailer of premium mattresses. Mattresses that we love. Mattresses that you get shipped to your home and then they explode in front of your very eyes from a very small mattress to like a full mattress. They, they, they basically, you know, they're, they're 
air vacuum packed. So then they, they grow up into a full mattress as you watch. And if you don't like it, you can send it back in 100 days for free, which is wow. really wacky. So Casper's goal is basically to cut out the middleman when you go mattress shopping and mattresses are expensive and they're horrible and you're running around the store lying on a thousand beds that so many other people have lied on and it's horrible. Just go to Casper's <laughs> website. You can look at all the mattresses. You can pick out one that feels right to you, get it shipped to your house, try it out yourself, and you'll probably dig it. Um, these mattresses are also really affordably priced. Uh, a twin costs five hundred dollars, seven fifty for a full, eight fifty for a queen, and nine fifty for a king size mattress that you can do, you know, somersaults on. Which is, I, I believe, what people do when they have king size beds. They just get in and they roll and they roll. <laughs> They roll. They roll. <laughs> All of Casper's mattresses are made in America, which is great. I like to support my local slash local national national companies that make things here. And they really understand that buying a mattress online is a thing that not a lot of people have thought of. But it is totally possible at Casper. And it's risk-free. Like I said, you can return it if you don't like it. Um, and you should absolutely... Go check them out, get a mattress, experience the joy of seeing it blossom in front of your very eyes, and send us a video of it because it's just yeah. so freaking cool. So yeah, check out casper.com slash rocket and you can get $50 towards your own blossoming mattress by using by, by going to casper.com slash rocket and then using the code rocket at checkout, which you should do because you love us and you love mattresses and a good night's sleep thank you casper love them seriously when will we go mattress surfing in the mattress it, it factory needs to be soon and i don't know i'm staying at the world's worst hotel before i die week, and i wonder if i could just call Cas <laughs> yeah isn't that terrible like the bed is like something from american horror story yeah i wonder if i could call like casper and just have them send me a mattress here because this mattress is terrible and then i could just take it back with their their liberal policy i wonder if they could make that happen that would be a gross misuse of casper's that's generosity true. that's true towards our show and right. our network. i'm sorry Rayana i meant Wu. to say that's something i would not do <laughs> because it would be wrong right yes no one should send a mattress <laughs> no. to brianna's house or <laughs> any other address associated with her that is public and discoverable <laughs> and that you know and that is not creepy to send a mattress to oh <laughs> <laughs> sorry too close to home Simone made it weird. Literally. Um, made it weird again. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. That's what you do. So, Brianna, how about that conference you're at? How about yeah. that PC thing? How about the millions of dollars <laughs> that you're like snorting blow That's what off I'm of doing. right now? That's my entire career mission. Is As to... is the game development yeah, lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I was flown out to San Francisco this week to do uh, Lady Pitch Night, which is... Um, you know, it was really, really, it was an interesting experience. Um, and yeah, I kind of, so basically, you know, obviously one of the biggest uh, things that women face uh, in starting businesses is running up against getting access to venture capital. So, um, you know, basically Lady Pitch Night is an event that was uh, thrown together here in San Francisco. And, you know, we basically got to go through, sort through a bunch of pitches decide what had merit and uh we awarded a um we awarded basically a biotech company uh basically 
the best of show and they got a bunch of capital and they got a bunch of access to other things. But um, I guess, and, you know, Christina, this is where I'd love to get your input on this, but yeah, there, there are really two strategies that um, I think people talk about when it's like access for women to uh, access to capital. And, you know, on one hand, I think we all recognize that women do face like structural bias as far as having our companies uh, evaluated and having access to being able to pitch. Um, you know, there's very clearly structural bias. You can see it in the, the, the outcome. But I think at the same time, um, I think that it's, I, I think I see overall in the industry, far too many women that kind of, you know, make their thing that they're pitching. I think it ends up being like, in general, like smaller ideas. There aren't these like really big, bold, like, you know, really, yes. really fierce ideas. Yeah. I think it tends to like concentrate too much on things like shopping or social justice, or do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I, I think that women are sometimes yes, hold and, themselves and, back in that way. Like, sorry, Christina, what were you saying? Yeah. Oh, I definitely think we do. No, I, 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 when I agree with you and, and, and I, I would say it's not even so much the, the, types of ideas they're saying, because I think you can have a huge, like groundbreaking ideas around shopping or social justice, but it's about the yeah. scope, right? So we, I think as a gender, I think tend to not, because of society or, or whatever, you know, a, a lot of it, we, we tend to not want to think as big as we possibly can, because we feel like we've got to be realistic. And so mm -hmm. that means being smaller and being like, okay, what do I think I can really yeah. accomplish? When, when you're trying to get money from somebody, you're trying to get something to invest in you, you really need to sell them the biggest possible idea. Mm -hmm. So rather than saying, you know, I want to build a shopping, you know, company or whatever, like, you know, people aren't saying I want to be, you know, the next great fashion line. I want to be, you know, the next, you know, Amazon.com. I want to be the next Amazon. I want to be the next LVMH. I want to be the next, um, you know, Gucci. I want to be, you know, like I want to be Burberry, right? Like they're saying, I want to be, uh, something else. I mean, I, I think that when you look at companies who've been in those spaces, who've been successful, like honest, Jessica Alba's companies is one of those where like, she basically wanted to be kind of like the Amazon for like organic, you know, like respectable, like parenting, like baby right. stuff. Right. And she's done very well on it. And it's now valued. It's a billion dollar plus valuation, right? They're, they're, they're a unicorn. But like a lot of people, I think they, they aim smaller and even things like social justice saying, okay, I want to have a safe space or a good space for people to have discussion or like fight these issues and not to be like, I want to be Facebook or change.org, you know? And, and I think that that, so I think that it, I, I would, I would disagree in the sense that I don't think it's, it's that the concepts are being thought of, um, are, aren't big enough. I think that it's, it, that it's the, they're, the ideas themselves could be big enough. We just tend to hold ourselves back by trying yeah, to. Yeah, I agree with that. That's mm -hmm. a regardless yeah, of like what, what conversation how you're trying I've to create money. Like that's a conversation I've had to have this year, where at first when we were kind of going through evaluating like what we wanted, how much capital we were asking for in our seed round, and all of that. You know, initially we were going, okay, what's the leanest and meanest we can run this? And you know, that's advice I've had repeatedly is to go much bigger with that. So, and I don't think. I, I don't think any of the 10 pitches we saw um, really fell into that trap. I mean, I think there were there were women with generally big ideas. Um, but I think something really struck me was the presentation styles. And, you know, I think there are some like when I think about like the archetype, the archetypal woman who like goes into business and is is really shooting for this. 
I think there is a kind of personality type that like excelled in school all the time and like really focused on getting A's on test and like is very convinced that like the word, like the exact word that they're going to say really matters. And I saw a lot of people like literally just reading from scripts and like looking at their notes every few oh, seconds no. and being very dry with it. And I think it's very telling that the the women that the woman that won and the ones that I voted for were almost those Steve Jobs like figures that were able to go out there and generate excitement and talk about it. And the the one that had the most buzz uh was this is something like I literally went and like funded this Indiegogo like as I'm listening to her pitch. So <laughs> she wanted to get into the teen girl market and like painting your nails is a pain in the butt. So she they're they're going through and uh, inventing this machine that like it will look at designs, it will print them on your nails like a three D printer, and you just bloop plop it in the machine. And it uses your phone for the CPU and prints it out. And she had so much charisma as she was explaining it, and it just it got you excited in the idea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, and I think that that's that's both a good and a bad part of. I mean, it's the, one of the realities of, of pitching stuff is that, and because I've judged hackathons or not hackathons, but I've, I've judged um, like like startup competitions before, and certainly like usually presentation. I've judged hackathons too, but generally, you know, when those things happen, like you do, presentation plays a big part in it, and um, that does put certain people at an advantage more than others. That means I think when you are looking for co-founders, finding somebody who can mm-hmm. be that public face is a really important skill, whether you're male or female. And if you're female, especially being as polished and as outgoing and as expressive as you can be really goes a long way because frankly, the men that you're going to be competing against are definitely going to be that way. Some of them won't be, but the ones who are do well usually will be, or they'll have someone on their team who can be that mm-hmm. way. You know, um, we all know Mark- that guy. Yeah, we all know that guy. I mean, the thing is, is that there are co- some companies that don't quite have those great public facing things, <laughs> um, but most of them, well, they don't. And and that frankly hurts them a lot of times in their direct consumer place. It's one of the reasons why I think the Nexus lines of phones don't do as well and why they have a hard time explaining certain things to other people because they don't great, give great yeah. presentations, but they're Google. They don't necessarily have to, but that's the thing. You're not going to be Google. You're not going to have those advantages and you're not going to necessarily have, you're, you're entering into a world where Google already exists. So you've mm-hmm. got to play, you've got to deal with that hand. And I think that it's, it's, uh, I think you're, you're right. You know, having a really polished presentation and just being willing to shoot for the stars and be like, I want to be Uber of whatever. I want to be this company. I want to mm-hmm. have a $50 billion valuation if that's what you're going for. Now, look, if you have smaller like goals and I totally think that's okay. But the reality is I think when you're trying to get funding and you would know this a lot more than I would Bree. I just know this from covering it as a reporter is that we are sort of in, you know, a, there's mm-hmm. a crunch happening when it comes to, you know, there, it's it's easy to get money seed funding. It's really difficult. There's the whole Series A crunch. And a lot of times, you know, investors are investing big bucks in late stage stuff. But for early stage valuations, like they're not wanting to invest in somebody who's like, I would like a nice lifestyle business. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've got to start thinking there are other ways to get money if that's what you want. But if you're looking for venture capital, you Your know. Your advice is to shoot, shoot, shoot big, maybe well, even bigger than you round. planned oh, or. Yeah. No, that was the end of my I, I, 
yeah, I, I was for for me, I would say that yes, if, if you're really looking to get serious. Well, that it. but that's not your only option. Like something that's gotten very popular these days is to look for corporate partners that can kind of get you past that. Like people that are going in the same way sure. that might need that technology. I mean, you know, then you get like this. I God, I hate the word synergy, but like, <laughs> you do. You get the that conflux of of two people doing the same, like working the same space with different strengths. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you're dead on. You're yeah, no, you're dead on. I think that works really well. But I'm saying, if you're looking to try to raise around, if you're if, if you are trying to say, if you're looking to raise around at this point, the way the venture capital ecosystem is working because of the crunches that are happening, because um, fewer companies are IPOing and more companies are going to have to IPO at certain valuations for investors to make their money back, because you know everybody's gone unicorn crazy, because it's competitive, <laughs> uh, because there was a lot of free money for a long time, and now everybody's afraid of the bubble, the, the correction is happening. Yeah, you need to go big or go home. Um, if you want certain types of venture funding, but that's not the only avenue for raising money. There's, there's angel stuff. There's you no, know, uh, there's you no know, uh, synergistic to use your word partnerships. You know, there are, there's, you know, licensing IP, there's all kinds of things. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I guess, well, my, my contribution to that would be, even if you don't have the person on your team who is the star presenter naturally, Practice. Yeah. Yes. Practice public speaking. Public speak everywhere. Get over any fear associated with that. And know your deck without having to look at it. Like yeah. honestly, and be, I would say be that able to talk about extemporaneously. Yeah. Even if you're a good public speaker, like I'm a very good public speaker, and because I'm such a good public speaker, I often make a mistake where I feel like I can just go in without practicing. Yeah. And for some <laughs> speeches, that's fine. And in some cases, it's I've definitely given presentations that would have been better yep. if I'd memorized. But mm -hmm. I guarantee, I, 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 gu I guarantee you this: if I'm asking anybody for money, I'm going to know everything I say yep. by heart, memorize. I'm going to know that deck backwards, forwards, inside out, so I never even have to look at it. I know exactly when to press yep. that pointer because. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's your Can, job. I, and this brings yeah. me to another point. Now, granted, you know, my background is more engineering and, you know, I don't have a business degree. I have taken a lot of business classes. But I, and I'd love to know how you all feel about this, I lose 1,000% respect for anyone that's speaking the instant they go into business jargon that just do you know what i'm talking like that 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 fake stuff yes. it it and i understand that for some points synergy. synergy i think is an actual word it can mean something but i'm saying when you are when you're mm -hmm. constantly talking in that like we're going to leverage blah 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 i i lose so much respect for it because to me it signals I can't explain what I'm thinking or I don't understand my thoughts clearly enough to give it in in non-weasel words. Do you know what I mean? And I Yes, yeah. there is a very certain class of person who seems like they have taken so many marketing classes that they yeah. lose the ability to speak in words that relate to people. And I, I don't know. I, I don't have enough experience to know if this is really successful. But when I see people like using those terms, like e even in their, their own like Facebook and, and Twitter posts, it just it feels very much like you are trying you are angling You're for something at all points here. You're not telling me something because it's your passion project and you love it and you believe it you can that you can succeed with it. You're telling me something because you are trying to get something from me and play up like yourself. And it, it just feels I, I, something I noticed, and you know, this isn't just with the the lady 
pitch night thing that I went to. But overall, you know, we talk a lot about tech being a meritocracy. And God knows I've talked a lot about like structural bias against women. But what I think is very telling is when someone will go out there for a pitch and they will like, they spend a lot of time saying, oh, and I went to, I went to, you know, Harvard and all of us graduate. And it's like, when you have to, when you have to play that up as like your your bona fides to be there and that's like your qualification to have opinions there that's another thing that makes me lose (laughs) you know respect for you like okay if you have a degree in engineering or or biotech or any of that that is relevant but if you getting up there and your presentation and your knowledge and your idea can't carry the day, your idea doesn't give a damn where you went to school, you know? No, it doesn't. It's like if the rest of that can come through. So here's my question for you, Brie, relating back to business lingo and buzzwords that don't mean anything. I think a lot of us, myself included, do not not know how to talk to venture capitalists. What sort of, like, does that business lingo mean something to them and that it signals that you speak a common language? And well, no. Okay, so it, does it kind it's of depend more, on the who they, you're pitching well, to? No. Uh, something I've noticed is I've had to start reading a lot more um, finance and business textbooks lately. It's not because I want to sit there and yep. speak in weasel words, but like a venture capitalist job is to invest in nine companies and have a 10th one make all of their money back. So they are thinking at a very high level and their constant question is like, how can I make my money back? If you understand exit strategies, yep. you're going to understand venture capitalists. So they do. Venture capitalists get very, very jargony when you're talking about like the financing details and like you know, market cap and uh, like all these different things. Yes. You need to know, you need to know how a term sheet works. That's Mm -hmm. very different. I think than knowing how a term sheet works and knowing the financial terms of, of what, you know, um, of of how, um, you know, your breakdown is going to be and, and, and whether you're getting something in a convertible note or not, or, you know, what sort of equity breakdown you're having, like that's very different than having a jargony discussion about what your business means and how you're going to deliver on all these different, you know, ideas and, and, and buzzwords to me, they're two different things. Um, but, but I, I will say this, I know some venture capitalists and, and look, they, they're like any other sort of thing. They're, they're good ones, bad ones, mediocre ones, even within the same firms. Some of them do respond well to overly jargon presentations. Some of them can be charmed by that. I personally am with you guys. I feel like it's a turnoff. And when I see, you know, companies, startups who try to get me to write about them, who like send me a buzzword laden email, yeah. that's the fastest way for me not to read your email. I just don't have time for it. I don't care. Um, but I know some people care about that thing, some of that stuff. It's a, the reason a lot of people do it is because they think it works. But I think that I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Brie, but I feel like there's a very big difference between knowing your financial terms, knowing your buzzwords for about like the business breakdown, about what you're trying to get done and fully understanding. That's something that's important too. If you are asking for money, doing as much research as you can and talking to someone, preferably a lawyer, um, you know, who can explain to you how the process works because you want to get as good de- a good of a deal for yep. yourself. You know, the people who are offering you money are going are going to try to lowball you as much as you can because their goal is to make as much of a profit as possible. They're not looking out mm-hmm. for your best interests. You know, they're mm-hmm. looking to make money. The good ones are going to be able to help you and maybe help you meet people because they want to get a return on investment. But na- make no mistake, you know, like they want – they're in it for them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think understanding those terms and understanding – when you're having those discussions, how that stuff works is really important. But I feel like di- that's a different sort of jargon than in like a, a pitch deck. I think deck. it's jargon with a different 
purpose. Like something, um, yeah, I get told a lot is when I talk about game dev, um, I kind of get jargony when I start talking about the technical stuff of game engines. And I know I do. Um, the difference is those words have specific functional meanings in an engineering context, the exact yep. same way that if you're talking about you know, term sheet, like all of that has very specific meaningful context within the financial sense. If you're talking about business strategy, there's almost nothing in business leadership that innately needs to be jargony, right? And if your method of communicating right. with the with the mass public is to default to that, what it tells me, and this could be accurate, it could be inaccurate, but what it sends me is the message that your ideas are not strong enough that you cannot explain them to me yep. in a charismatic, plain way that makes me excited about it. And you have to default to all this weasel language. Yeah, I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying mm -hmm. everyone at Lady Pitch Night did that. Overall, like the vast majority of them were incredible presentations. And I left there feeling so awesome about the quality of women out there pitching and building companies. But I do think that's a very serious problem. I think it hurts your credibility. Mm -hmm. Lessons for anyone pitching to VCs yeah. in the future. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Hover, our favorite service to buy and manage domain names. Yeah, y'all. So as you know, if you have ever tried to start any kind of website, any kind of company, anything naming it is the most important part and also often one of the hardest parts. It's harder than pitching to VCs with millions of dollars by far. Um, so once you finally get that name, you really want to jump on it. You want to grab it, get that domain name. Uh, and Hover is the simplest and fastest and most hassle-free way to do that. There's not a thousand screens to go through, not a lot of blinky flashy lights. You can type in keywords and it'll toss back suggestions that you might like. There are a ton of TLDs available from .coms to like .ceo, .ngo, .church, which is my favorite for when I start my own religion. So it's really easy to search. And on top of that, it's just really easy to buy once you figure out the one that you want. Um, their .com domains are now $12.99, which is really awesome. I was searching using my, um, I'm trying to come up with a pen name. So I was searching using <laughs> my pen name which I don't actually have yet, but I was making a few up. Um, and those are available for $12.99, super cheap. It comes with who is privacy for free, as do all of Harvard's domains, which is at something that, frankly, we all need these days. And if you ever have any problems, they have fantastic customer support um, on the phone or otherwise. There are no robots at Hover, which seems to me to make them a person that you could trust once the robot uprising happens. I approve of this no robot policy. And they also have a valet service that will take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider and move it. They'll just do it for you. Whether you have like a thousand domains or 10 domains or two domains, they'll just move them all, which is wacky and awesome. I've used the word wacky in two ad reads today. That's a, I should get that checked out. Um, so anyway, hover has really, really great services. They make it really easy to find domain names and purchase domain names and start your own robot domination of the internet today. You should go to hover.com and use the show code SWIFT at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for us here at Rocket on Relay FM. 
Heck so yeah. can I get the can Coats I get the, domain, like the domain name uh, simontologist.church? I want to start the simontology yes. church. Yes. The search yeah, of simontology. simontology. I like that. I like a lot. that. Yeah, I'm freaking I like looking that. it up. What would the church of simontology yeah. be? Like, would there be? Yeah. I think it would be like um, play a lot of Assassin's but, Creed, mm-hmm, eat a lot of potato mm-hmm. soup. We'd eat. We'd probably eat soup every day. Uh, it wouldn't be a very popular church. It would be very strange. We would have very weird parties, church parties, like you do. Did you have church parties when I you did, were in church? I did. Is that Christina? Simontologist.church2460. I don't know. I stopped going to church when I was like 15. And I mean, there was, I guess, some youth group stuff. I don't know. I guess there were like lame church parties, I guess. I don't know. You guys, I could get Simontologist.club for twelve twenty nine. Simontologist. The club of club Simontology. Of yeah, like the after school program of Simontology. And then we could just call it like Club, club Simone. Simone. Yeah. Short. And then it's tax deductible. <laughs> that sounds very posh. This could be a scheme. Oh my God. That would be great. Oh my God. My own pyramid scheme. Oh my God. Let's yeah. Finally. Let's pull a, yeah, let's do it. Has to happen. So. This is our new revenue plan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Simone, I think you wanted to promote yourself okay. this week or your work or just talk about Assassin's Creed. I think Creed. we were both promoting all ourselves right, this right. week. Yes, it is it's now time for the Simone and 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 uh and Brie Horathon. <laughs> yes, what it's yes, called. That's wow. What be doing. <laughs> I poured myself plenty, so I'm going to take all a second right, this week. Right. But yeah. I love you guys yeah. to pour yourself. No, it's time. So I'm going to take this chance to yak a bit about uh, the editorial that I had go up last week on Remesh.com, which was about Evie Fry and her portrayal in Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And I, I just got so pumped about this character because I realized she she uses a lot of she has a lot of traits that we often associate with women characters as stereotypes, like that she is better dressed than her twin brother. She is more stealthy than her twin brother. And often, like for me in the marketing, those things were red flags. I was like, oh, great. Here we go again. The, the woman is stealthy and th- logical and the guy is hot headed and strong. OK. And then in practice, I think what Assassin's Creed, what Ubisoft has done is shown how you can take traits that may have negative connotations and use them, give them context and use them to create an amazing thought, well thought out character. And they do that with Evie, taking the example of her clothes. Evie dresses a lot nicer than Jacob. She dresses a lot more like a traditional assassin in the Assassin's Creed lore. She has this beautiful cape, this beautiful hood. It is literally the least subtle thing ever, but it's, you know, classic Assassin's Creed, so I love it. And Jacob's wearing like the world's crappiest, most threadbare coat that is hideous, and I hate it. On the surface, this looks like, okay, Evie is a woman. She's more fashionable. Great. Good. But if you dig into their backstory, as we learn more about them, the reason Evie dresses this way, I believe, is because as children growing up, you know, she was the one who was really immersed in the lore of the creed. She was the one who was training to be an assassin, whereas Jacob was, you know, effing off around town, drinking in bars and getting into bar fights. So it makes sense in that context that she is wearing these gorgeous assassin clothes that are very in keeping with the the tr- tradition of the creed. Well, Jacob dresses like an urchin. <laughs> so that was the first thing that really stuck out to me. And then as we get into the difference in their fighting styles, the fact that Evie is more stealthy, I think also ties just back into that context of how she was raised, you know, training to be stealthy because she is an assassin, whereas Jacob did not have that training. 
And this relates not just in like their interactions, they kind of clash with each other personality wise, but then as you level them up throughout the game, the way that their skills play out, like Evie's not less dangerous than Jacob. She is still just as, you know, strong in fights. She can, you can level her health regeneration up all the way. It's fine. But then she has stealth skills that he doesn't have access to, which makes sense in this meta context because of course she does. She's been training for that purpose, whereas he can shoot guns better than she can. I love Jacob. I, I sound like I'm crapping on him, but he's a really wonderful character. And the way that this all plays out in the greater context of a game is that they're, the ways in which they conflict are never gendered. It's never she's stealthy and well-dressed because she's his sister and she is a lot more logical and more um, thinks through her plans because she's the the woman the like the the girl twin it's more like she has the training and the knowledge that he doesn't have and that in certain ways really adds to the their relationship as siblings because there are things about him that she doesn't understand it never really pushes you to identify with one of them more than the other and i really really appreciate that about the game you kind of empathize with both of their conflicts him not wanting to conform to the traditions of the creed while she really does find that important and values that so I, I think I just want to give Ubisoft a huge, huge freaking shout out here for creating like this incredible character who is not a quote unquote female character first, but who is a person first and who has complex relationships with the people in her life and who has strong ties to her history and whose skills are really well wrapped into her own beliefs and her own personality and what she does. And I just really, really was completely blown away by how well she was written and how well Jacob was written too. I feel bad because I've only played like about three hours of this game, so I don't have thoughts that strong. You should feel bad. Um, <laughs> I know what to, I now have to. Yeah, play this we game. should both do it just so we can we can like know what Simone is talking. You about. You should uh, come to Simone.church yes. on yes. Sunday to hear the rest of my <laughs> sermons about Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I mean, um. I don't know. I guess I know a lot of the writing team that made this game and yeah, they're good. They're really good people. And it, it doesn't surprise me because when I think about the people I know that worked on this title, like a lot of them get it. Um, to me, I was disappointed though, that they, they kind of, you know, how many Assassin's Creed games has it been since 2008? Like it's 17, right? If you count all the mobile titles and stuff. It's a yeah, heck of a it's lot. quite a bit. It's like, they still, don't have faith to like ship a main console non XBLA version of the game that's just a woman protagonist. I it just seems mm -hmm. mathematically impossible. No, I totally feel at this that. Point. And also, yeah. I don't think he's well, that. Cute. And the reason that I was so yeah. impressed with Evie was because you know I come from you know playing Assassin's Creed Unity where the woman dies at the end. It's Assassin's Creed Black Flag where the woman dies at the end. Um, I guess Ezio's mother and sister didn't die at least in Assassin's Creed Two, but like they have that history of writing. You know, even if you have a great female character as Elise was, she still dies at the end, and that's a problem. Um, and I won't get into with Syndicate, but obviously by my warm reaction, you can kind of guess about things that happen or don't happen at the end of Syndicate. Um, I, I think it's. I, I feel like they have really thought about some of the things that are just considered, like, 
tenets of storytelling, like, yeah, let's cause pain to a character by killing people close to him, and have really thought about what that does to the overall narrative and what it does to characters, as in, you know, kind of depriving them of a way to grow in a certain direction, because you're cut literally cutting something out of their life. You're cutting out an option, a story that you could tell when you kill a character. And it, I think it's something that people really, really have to think hard, long and hard about before they do. Um, and with Assassin's Creed Unity, I'm going to be honest, they did not think about what, or at least if they did think about what that would do to Arno, they made the decision that they weren't going to tell more stories about him that were interesting because they took away his reason to live. Uh, so yes, I, I do have a lot of feelings about the way that, um, and I know there are different studios that write the Assassin's Creed game. So, you know, the, the studio that worked on this one, I really think that they looked at what they, what historically had been done in the series and improved so so Ooh. much on that i don't know i think i could tell you some drama but i can't say it on the air about that very subject so <laughs> i don't know um for you simone i will after i get done playing the Frackout tomb raider i will play it some more for you i will get further in that game for you even though fallout Thank 4 you. so you guys yeah. aren't all obsessed with uh, fallout 4 i was gonna good. say fallout well, come on. you know i talked about this a bit on twitter and got a lot about it but as as much as i my problem with bethesda games is uh we have this the term we use for procedural content in the game industry is pcg and you know for some reasons for some like purposes it makes a lot of sense like in far cry you don't want to go through and build every single tree which is why we've had speed tree for you know decades now so I understand that, but my problem with Bethesda games is, you know, they have these teams of writers writing lots of lore, but then the execution of it is what animators, we really do refer to it as, is fish, fish mouth, when you're just sitting there and you procedurally <laughs> hook up the mouth controls to like the volume and looking for certain consonants. It does. So you have this script that's written by professionals and it's just like, um, 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 like this blank face, like giving it to you. And then the animations are very <laughs> generic and they don't really fit and nothing is professionally lit along the way. So my problem with Bethesda games is, and I do have Fallout 4 waiting for me when I come home, but it feels like it's, it's scope of a game at the expense of detail. So it's like a big, huge canvas without anything really painted well in any particular part. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely, yeah. I mean, are you looking forward to it, Christina? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do I you? I didn't know that about you. I love you. Fallout I so much. I didn't know that about you, really. Yeah, I've loved it since the very beginning. I've, I love Fallout. It's like my favorite game series, probably one really? of my favorite series ever so you liked new vegas yeah. i did like new vegas and 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 like and i still cry over fallout one and fallout two yeah no, i know i love i like i like new vegas i like fallout but a didn't lot. you have that moment i did when you're playing fallout like fallout three and it was a problem for new vegas too where you're going okay create your character and you're going huh how do i make someone that's not horrifically ugly and it's really hard <laughs> yes yes it, it, it yeah. is super hard I, oh no, it is. Well, actually, this is what excites me because I've already seen um, on Reddit people have already been successfully making Taylor Swift um, characters and follow. Wait, wait, I've got to see this. Good, good. Yeah. My feeling about any kind of facial animation is if the eyebrows aren't moving, then something is wrong for me. And <laughs> I know that's a difficult thing, a difficult hurdle to overcome. And I think that people do very well, even if the eyebrows are are static, but. I prefer 
mobile eyebrows when I when I see a virtual character speaking to me. It's my well, my bottom line there. It's my controversial Christina, stance. I do not find this Taylor Swift convincing. I'm sorry. I don't. No, I, don't, I agree yeah. with you. M- m- most of them. All right. There have been a number. Uh, I, I've seen like five, though. That's the thing. When people keep trying and failing, they're like, oh, but it looks so ugly. Because you're right. Their creator thing is terrible. But it's still one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I could make. I know, tell you what, Chrissy, you give me some money and I'll have GSX make you a mod for Fallout 4. We will make you a skeletal mesh of Taylor Swift and we'll put that in the game. Oh, my you. God. Okay, I, I will give you money. I will do that. I will so freaking do that. Before or after you that. ship uh, Revolution after, 60 after. for PC. I need to get back to the office. So, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about your Tomb Raider article at all? Uh, we're probably going to cover on Isometric. Did you like it? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll cover it really quickly. Um, so, in, in, in 2013, I was really, really frustrated. I actually got my first death and rape threats from this article because 2013 came out and the new Tomb Raider. So Tomb Raider came out, the 2008 Tomb Raider was a really big failure. It was such a failure that nearly killed the franchise. They only sold like 1.6 million copies of it. So uh, then in 2013, they like took a step back and they rebooted the character. And, um, you know, for, for the entire time Laura Croft had been around, they, they kind of marketed her with sex as a sex symbol. And look, like I own every Dead or Alive game. I played the frack out of Bayonetta. I don't have a problem with like sexy heroines innately. But the problem is, um, you know, you want a real character. Like, Bayonetta is sexy as frack, but she's a person, right? Like, she has real feelings. So, um, you know, basically what they did was they took a step back and they rebooted this character. And they, they, they got the really great writing team. They got Rihanna Pratchett there. And they, they really took this character from being like this, this you know, sex doll in a wetsuit running around and made her one of the most realistic, emotionally complex women in gaming history. And I just love this character. Yeah, I interviewed the entire writing team. And yeah, it really took yeah. a crappy platformer and yeah, made it a great did. game too. Yeah, they did. I mean, can I just say that? Because it's terrible. Reader, it's not terrible. Game. It doesn't hold up at all. Pretty, yeah. all of them pretty terrible. And now in the new series, amazing, amazing. So uh, that's why piece is about. It's on Polygon this week. I'm very proud of it. It took a lot of research. Um, and yeah, and you interviewed Rihanna Pratchett. Right? I did. I did. Uh, to be fair, though, I interviewed more of the writing team around her. And you know, like I, she is always so generous in giving credit to everyone else on the team. And, you know, I, I don't work at that studio, so I don't know how much stuff she, she, she did on it, but I do know that, you know, for Tomb Raider, you know, this newest one, she worked there remotely and, you know, other people were like lead narrative designers. So, you know, I think it's, it's a team effort, but it, it just, it says so much about their changed priorities that I played and unlocked every costume in that game. And the sexiest any of her costumes get is one, um, like, outfit does not have sleeves. And it's like this commando vest. And, you know, like, she's out there in the freezing cold. It's not that I want to, like, censor sex. Like, I love that Taylor Swift video, Bad Blood. But, you know, it's got to make sense in a context, right? So, I don't know. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the same way I feel about Assassin's Creed Syndicate is, like, those outfits, they are assassin outfits, first and foremost. They are gorgeous and they have lace trim. Yep. Some of them, yep. some of them don't. Yep. Yeah. 
that's amazing. And I, we should all like cosplay with them because oh my God, be great. Oh be my great. God. I literally, I spent a good part of a weekend just kind of Googling Assassin's Creed custom cosplay. And I'm like, do I want to spend $400 to look yes. awesome? Yes. I'd rather spend it on tickets to Hamilton right now. But that, that goal is out there. That's my, yep. that's my five-year plan is to no, I was going to say like Hamilton, Hamilton, Hamilton comes priority because we've got to party like, together. Yeah. We've got to see Hamilton together. I had a, a really, I hit probably rock bottom last night when I actually cried because I thought about not seeing the original cast performing it. And I was like, if I never get to see Leslie Odom Jr. as Aaron Burr, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And then I cried because I found out that Lafayette is buried under soil from Bunker Hill. He's literally buried under American soil. Oh my God. I can't even handle <laughs> the feelings that I'm having about the American you Revolution right now. You have to you have to meet my coworker and an amazing colleague Heidi Moore who has been a Hamiltonian but since before I like, want to meet since before her Hamilton and was cool live in her brain. She no, she's like been obsessed with Alexander Hamilton for like forever. Like I so can... far before the musical it's not even funny. Um like she got into a fight. <laughs> she went to so Aaron Burr at the Aaron Burr estate like mansion or whatever on, on like Burr's birthday. She somehow <gasps> got invited to the party and got into a debate with one of Burr's heirs. <gasps> Oh no! And he was like the freaking Hamiltonian. It was great. So because she's like a diehard Hamiltonian, and like the very first thing when I first met her, which was like when Hamilton was still in the public theater, like was like in in, in March, I guess. She was like, when we all well, I have an she was like, I have an obsession with Alexander Hamilton. I was like, okay, great. I was like, I've read one of his biographies. It's really good. And she was like, I, I could tell life arrived. She's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. <laughs> I have a deep connection with Hamilton. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, more HN on Twitter. Are we sure she's not like a time traveling version of Elizabeth Schuyler or something? That would be so cool. Probably true. Definitely 100% true. Yeah. Tell her that. Okay. What are you up to this week, Christina? Uh, well, it's my birthday tomorrow. Your birthday. Oh it's my, my birthday God. Tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. So Happy that's birthday. Uh, yes. Thank, thank, thank you. Yay. So it's, a, it's my birthday, and that's basically my week. Uh, I mean, I feel like I – no, I've had other stuff Celebrate. going on, so that I can't really talk about. Good times. Come on. Uh, yeah, exactly. So. Cool. I hope you have a wonderful birthday. Thank you. And thank you. Brianna, what are you up to? Oh, God. Um, so I am going down to a TV studio in New York next week uh, to do a TV show, which I'm very, very excited about. I uh, can't say anything about it nice. yet, but it is uh, it is major television. Um, I am asking for millions of dollars for continuing that this week. Uh, I actually, today I had a lunch with Ellen Powell. It was really, really nice. We hung out for two hours. Um, nice. I'm going to leave the conversation we had in private. Uh, but I will say, um, I feel... I feel our discussions about what happened to her at Reddit and kind of, you know, talking about her vision as a businesswoman, I feel really good about the uh, the reporting that we did in that time period. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was really fun. What else am I doing this week? Uh, I think we're getting Rev 60 out the door, hopefully. So there we go. Yes. Yes. All right. I am also, I'm, I'm working on the holiday Toys to Life stuff still, so I'm at the bottom of the hole and I, I can see the way out now. Um, and then I'm also reviewing the the Fire TV, which Yay. I'm pretty pumped about. Oh, can yeah. I can I say this really quickly, Christina? You were right about games on the Fire TV, and I was wrong. And I want to own that here on Rocket. I bought one this week when I got my MacBook, and like Beat Sports is a the Apple, you mean the TV, Apple TV. It's a hell of a lot of fun. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I told you. 
I told and you I, it's fun. I was it's all judging you. Yep. Uh, it's there. I, I think that ecosystem is going to be really solid five years from now. And it, it the Polygon um, article saying it was the new we is completely accurate. And um, I, yeah. Yes. It was just so funny because I said that like a month before that article yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> there I'm we just go. Just saying. Let Same. the statements show, yep. let the records show that Christina Warren and Brianna Wu. All right. All right. And where can we find you online, Christina? I'm film underscore girl. Cool. Brianna? Space cat girl. And I'm on Twitter at Doom Quasar. If you haven't reviewed us already, you know what's coming. The guilt trip of the century. Open up iTunes. Search for us. Give us a star. Leave us a review. If you feel like it, we really appreciate it. I'm not I'm not guilt tripping you. You're good. I love you all. Um, and terminated. 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 Terminated.